going on everybody it is cameron here on down to the wire it's been a while it has definitely been a while since i've done one of these um took a year off last year with it being a covert year you know it was it was a weird weird season um worst defensive season of football i think i've ever seen in my life uh also being the lsu fan that i am it was a horrible year after having the greatest season in college football ever in 2019 uh heisman winning quarterback winning by the biggest margin in the history of the uh, award was great with joe burrow all the receivers just the offense and everything coming together actually got to go to uh, a playoff game against oklahoma so that was really cool but following that up with uh 2020 everything going on with COVID in the world, or at least the COVID response, um, football potentially being canceled and then being kind of a shell of what it was, you know, conference schedules only, cancellations, opt-outs, man, all sorts of crazy stuff that um, I'll probably do a, a separate podcast on uh, probably coming up just to talk about the season that was in 2020. Because there's a lot that you can kind of go over um, I didn't, uh, do a preview for this year. Uh, life changes happen. Um, but yeah, so I want to do a, uh, a podcast just really, I, I waited a week to do a podcast and to talk about my feelings on LSU, obviously, because there's a lot that I'm going to say, but before I do that, I'm just going to kind of real quickly uh, go over from what I've seen uh, week one and week two. Um, I don't always think that week one is always a great measuring stick for any team. Some teams come out on fire week one, and then because of that, they're just kind of drained and then look bad week two. And then, you know, a lot of times week one, you're, you're ironing out a lot of stuff, and week two is when you really shine. Um, and, and I think that was the case for Oregon. Um, they did not look great. They struggled and had to come back late in the fourth quarter to beat Fresno state. And then they come out and they play Ohio state week two. Nobody gave them a chance. I mean, you listen to all of the, uh, so-called experts on college game day on ESPN. They're all picking Ohio state to win big. Uh, I believe that the uh, stat that everybody kept saying was that Oregon had never beaten Ohio State. I think that that's what I heard, if that's correct. If not, then I stand corrected. Yeah, so they go into Ohio State, go into Columbus, and they control the game from start to finish, really. Um, they looked great. Their defense really contained them, and they were down at least their top two guys, one of the best defenders, or if not the best defender in Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end for Oregon was out for the game due to an injury. I think one of their defensive backs was out. Um, and then their head coach, uh, Mario Cristobal said at the end of the game that they were down a total of five players uh, on defense and they still really controlled that offense. An offense that has two great receivers and Chris Olave and Wilson. Um, I think they're, I think Ohio State in general is still trying to figure out what they want to be. Um, I don't think they're the power running team that they've been in the past. Um, 
and they're just kind of passing the ball. And then whenever you kind of basically, you know, how the game went is, you know, Ohio state racked up a ton of yards. And then once they got, you know, inside the 30 or so of, of Oregon, you know, fields condensed and it's harder to, to run that kind of offense once you get kind of down there. I mean, they lived off the big play most of the game when they scored. They went for it on fourth down a lot and they didn't get any of them until like their last two possessions on their last two scores that they had. And honestly, if they have a field goal kicker, if they just kick field goals, they only lost by seven. And, you know, I, I don't remember off the top of my head of where they were specifically on the field when they went for fourth down and didn't get it if they were in field goal range or legit field goal range for a college kicker that you think, which is typically, you know, under 45 yards, you're usually, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, they make two of those field goals. They're down one and all they need is a field goal at the end. Now, obviously we kind of saw how that went. They got basically decimated on, <laughs> on the, the line and basically got sacked back to back plays. It seemed, and then the game was over, but expecting a true freshman quarterback to have to drive down the field at the end of the game for a touchdown, instead of trying to get into field goal range, just makes it way harder than, than what it could have been. And you left some points on the field, you know, I mean, they really dominated that second half dominated the fourth quarter. I don't think Oregon scored maybe once in the fourth quarter. And that was towards the beginning. I mean, the last like three or four drives that Oregon had, you know, they didn't get any points. So Ohio state stepped up, but Ohio state defense stepped up. Then Oregon's defense stepped up whenever they were only up a score, you know, got to give credit to both sides. But I, I think that Ryan day uh, really left some points on the field, some missed opportunities and, and just, you know, you can't always go for it on fourth. You got to feel the game, you know, and, you know, points were kind of having a premium for them. Um, but, you know, live by, if that's how you want to live by, you know, it's going to hurt you sometimes. And I think, I think that's what it did for Ohio State. But kudos to, or- to Oregon. Kudos to the Pac-12. I mean, who would have thought that in their big games against big opponents, I think there's there's been three that I really remembered. Uh, UCLA, LSU. Obviously, that went to the Pac-12 and UCLA in dominant fashion. Uh, you had Oregon beating Ohio State, you know. Uh, last year, both those teams won their respective conferences. and and Oregon topped Ohio state, you know, and now you're thinking, Hey, I mean, it's Ohio state. So they'll probably get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the playoff towards the end of the year, if they go undefeated, but, um, you know, you could see the big 10 getting left out. Uh, if, if things kind of go South there, cause there are some good teams like Iowa and uh, Penn state, which we'll talk about uh, here in a minute, but, um, you know, Oregon. And then the other game that uh, was this past weekend was Texas A&M and Colorado. And this was a great game. Old school, you know, 10 to 7. Great game. Defenses played great. Colorado played with their hair on fire. And they came so close to winning that game. And man, I mean, if nothing else, you know, I know everybody and myself included really rag has been ragging on the Pac-12 and basically saying they're irrelevant because they really have been um, really since even since Washington made it in the playoff 
really since Oregon made it in the playoff in, in the first year in the conception of it when they lost to Ohio State. I mean, they've been basically been irrelevant. There's there's been no competition from out west. USC has been horrible. Who just fired their coach Clay Helton after an embarrassing loss to Stanford at home with an embarrassing crowd. Um, I mean, Oregon has had their ups and downs since uh, Chip Kelly left. I mean, um, I cannot remember for the life of me the name of the coach after him. He was the offensive coordinator with Marcus Mariota. Um, I cannot remember his name, but he basically ran the program down into the ground, fired him. They hired, um, oh my gosh, the former Western Kentucky coach, the former Florida State coach, Willie Taggart. They hired him. He was there for a year left, went down to Florida State, and they hired Mario Cristobal, who basically had to kind of rebuild and restructure the program and is really trying to get that speed advantage and trying to get that size kind of like there he's trying to recruit like an sec school that's where he came from as the o-line coach at alabama and you know it's been a it's been a process you know they've had their moments they had an opportunity to to get in the playoff a couple years ago they just fell short you know they just couldn't get it fully together and i think this year is going to be the year for them but you know they've been kind of up and down you know ucla is ucla you know they're better this year they have chick kelly um, they could make some noise, you know, there's not really, there hasn't been, I mean, Stanford, I mean, we just kind of talked about them blowing the doors off USC with David Shaw. I mean, they used to be a powerhouse and you really haven't heard much about them the past three, four, five years. I mean, I, I don't know what happened to that program. They just kind of fell off the face of the earth. So, you know, I mean, if there's going to be any year for the Pac-12 to really make a statement, this is going to be the year for them. Um, and, and it seems to be setting up nicely. You got some big wins in the first two weeks of the season. Um, going to the big game that College Game Day was at last week, uh, Iowa, Iowa State. I don't really watch the game. Um, here's the deal. Uh, Iowa State is never going to beat Iowa anytime soon, I don't think. I mean this is going to be the year or last year is going to be the year. And they still haven't done it. Did they even play last year? I don't, I don't even know if they played last year, actually, since they're in different conferences. So they didn't play last year. Uh, I don't think so. They didn't beat them two years ago. I mean, Iowa just out physicals them and pushes them around. It's Iowa state. I mean, Mike Campbell's a good coach. At least you think, right. You think he's a good coach, but he can't beat his arch rival. I mean, it's kind of the same thing for Iowa State the past couple of years. They start slow. They looked horrible week one. They lose to Iowa, and then they're going to ramp it up and, and win, win some games against weak Big 12 competition. I mean, that, that's kind of how it's been. When they get to some of the big dogs, they lose. That's kind of what happened last year. You know, they, they had a good run, and then got beat in the Big 12 game against Oklahoma, the championship game. They did look good there. Um, Could have won. Here's my beef with Iowa State. Just wear your freaking colors on your uniforms. Black and white is not your school colors. And I don't care if it's about this Black Lives Matter thing. I don't care what the reason is that, and that's probably the reason, but I don't care what the reason is of why they decided to have their uniforms basically be permanently black and white. That's not your colors. Wear your school colors. You look stupid. If you want to be black and white, officially change your school colors to black and white. 
but it's not going to happen. Where your where your school colors? Be proud of those. I mean, come on. Don't even know who you are without looking down at the screen and on the scoreboard. So that that's my beef. It, it drives me crazy. <sighs> ACC looks terrible. I mean, for the past five six years, all it's been is Clemson. I was hoping North Carolina would be the year for them. I mean, everybody was talking them up. But Sam Howell, I think he's a great quarterback, but they look bad against Virginia Tech week one. They couldn't move the ball. Is that because North Carolina just isn't there? Is that because Virginia Tech is so improved that they're going to be really good? I mean, nobody freaking knows. It's the ACC. It's not good. Florida State. Oh, Florida State. You know, (laughs) they have been downhill since Jameis because Jimbo Fisher didn't give a crap after that. Didn't recruit, didn't care. He left in a horrible situation. Then they freaking hire Willie Taggart, and he was horrible. And they hire Mike Norvell from Memphis, and I thought he could be the one to at least revive him, you know, get him a little bit more to a respectable place to get some consistency. I didn't think he would probably bring him back to the top, but they just lost to Jacksonville State because they played cover one on the last play of the game. You're up three. Are you really scared to go to overtime against this team that you're playing? An FCS school? Why are you playing cover one with six seconds left in the game on the last play when they're not even in field goal range? They need like 30 yards at least to get into field goal range and you're running cover one and you let a guy behind you. You take a horrible angle and you can't tackle the guy. He just does a the weirdest juke or the laziest juke move you've ever seen and scores and you lose the game. After everybody was praising you for competing, holding your own, coming back, and possibly having the chance of beating Notre Dame at home, you were the talk of college football on Monday night. And you are not Monday, on, on Sunday night, and you blow it by losing this game. I mean, I mean, we lost to Troy in 2017, so I mean, I really can't say much, but (laughs) it's that's not looking good. And one of the reasons why Jimbo left was because the administration wasn't willing to commit financially to athletics or to the football program. That's one of the big reasons why he was looking to leave. Even whenever LSU was looking to hire him back in 2016, while all the drama with Les Miles at the end of the season was happening, we had a deal in place with Jimbo Fisher. The board or the president said, no, we're not going to fire Les after the Texas A&M game. That whole ordeal happened. And, you know, eventually Les Miles got fired, you know, three or four games in the next season. And then, you know, Ed Ogeron, the rest is history. The only reason why Jimbo was available was because Florida State didn't want to back them financially. They didn't want to go for improvements, for athletics, for facilities. They wanted to go cheap. And do they 
care enough? Do they have enough pride? I mean, this is the first season of Florida State football since Bobby Bowden died. He, he died very recently. And this is his legacy now. This is the program that he built and made a national name. And this is how it is now. Embarrassing. It really is. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a lot of these teams. I mean, you're talking North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Ohio State, Michigan, um, USC, Stanford, Oregon, Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, all these teams need to be good. Notre Dame, all these teams need to be good. Not just because they're blue buds, although that does have something to do with it, but those teams being good make college football great. It does. I mean, go back to when college football was the best. Personally, I think it was before LSU or Alabama had Nick Saban, you know, personally for obvious reasons. But I mean, even during some of his run, I mean, Texas was really good. USC was still pretty good. You go back to 2000 to 2010, USC was great. At the beginning, Miami was really good. I mean, they were on their dominant run at the end. Notre Dame was still pretty good. Ohio State was Ohio State. You had the SEC powers of Florida, LSU, Auburn. Those were great teams before Alabama came relevant again. Okay. USC was dominant. Oklahoma was good. It made the whole, you had Boise State, you know, be good and, and bust the Bulls. Wisconsin had their chance uh, in, after 2010. TCU, I mean, you, you know, the smaller schools had their chance. I mean, you look at Utah, too, with Urban Meyer. But the, my main point is you had a dominant West team in USC at the beginning of that decade and, and kind of tailing off a little bit after Pete Carroll left. You had a dominant team up north with Ohio State. Uh, you had a dominant Midwest team in Oklahoma and Texas. You had LSU, Florida, Georgia, even Auburn. Bama towards the end of the decade when Nick got there in 07 with him building in 08 and 09 winning the championship. That was a great decade of football, in my opinion. Now, granted, I, I personally didn't really fully get into it towards the until the back half of the decade because of my age, but I remember all those teams. I remember watching that 2005 national championship in my living room, with my parents. USC and, and uh, Texas, best championship game ever. My point is, because all of those teams were good, the whole country cared. Anybody could win it. Any region could win it. Now it's, it's Alabama, maybe Clemson, or Ohio State. Oklahoma doesn't have a shot. They're never going to win it. Nobody in the Pac-12 has got anything. That's going to help balance recruiting out. Alabama is going to be dominant until Nick leaves and dies, which is probably going to be on the field <laughs> at this point. I mean, the guy just signed a contract extension. Just part of that is just because of recruiting. If, if everybody's going to be honest, the reason why he did that is so nobody can negatively recruit against him saying, oh, 
you know, his contract is less than four years, you know, he's going to be gone by the time you're a senior or what have you. That's, that's the only reason why it's extending. Is it going to stay the full time? It wouldn't surprise me. They're going to be dominant no matter what, but what's going to help with that is one. I think the playoff extension uh, expanding, which I'll talk about in another podcast, but two, man, like some of these big teams, USC needs to be good. Whether you like them or not, I don't like them. I'll root against them every week, but they need to be good. You know why? As an LSU fan, hey, that could keep Bryce Young from going to Bama, staying at home. Would that really hurt Bama too much? Probably not. But there's all sorts of kids. Even LSU gets some California kids. Do you think some of those kids could really help out USC and build up a big brand out West, make things more interesting? And that could even help out some of the Pac-12 teams that actually have a shot that could bump up Oregon saying, hey, we can beat this great USC team. Come play for us. That's what Chip Kelly had. Just a thought. Now we're going to get to the SEC. I know I am about 20, 21 minutes in, and I promise I am going to get to a big rant about my Tigers here soon, but um, it's going to kind of include the SEC. But, I mean, Alabama's Alabama. They're going to stay number one. They're going to probably make it the playoff. Uh, with it being Alabama, there's only been two years. They've gone undefeated, 09 and, and last year, if you can even really count last year to real year. Be mad at me if you want. I don't care. Um, they could trip up somewhere. It's not going to be AM, though. I can tell you that. AM doesn't look good. You know, I, I, I've never been impressed with AM. Not even last year. Didn't respect them. What is there to respect? They can't. Their quarterback was horrible last year and had been horrible ever since he's been there. And now you're going to be better because you lost your whole offensive line. You're basically a whole offensive line. Is I just don't get the hype for AM. They looked horrible against Colorado, a team they should have blown out. I don't care if your backup quarterback is in there or not. If you are as good as everybody is saying you are, and Jimbo is as good of a coach as everybody say that he is, then they should have blown the doors off them. AM defense is good, really good. I don't know how Mike Elko is still a defensive coordinator. How did he not get hired as a head coach with all the coaching carousel that happened this past year, but beyond me, <laughs> I don't know, but that defense is really good. You have some really good players. Offense is not going to be good. They're not going to be able to keep up with Alabama. They're going to get destroyed. So they're irrelevant. Just as irrelevant as LSU is this year. Hey, Nemeth. Now they might beat some other teams, but that's not what they want to be. That's not why they're paying Jimbo $10 million a year. You know, that's, Auburn looks pretty good. They haven't played nobody, but they've scored 60 plus points in both their games, which is more than you could say that they ever did with Gus Malzahn. We'll find out what they're made of this week against Penn State, though. That's going to be a really good game. Um, let's see who else. I'm really going to probably talk a little bit more about some of these teams whenever I kind of go into my rant about LSU and where we're at as a program. Um, but, you know, 
Mississippi State's get Ole Miss. They're scary, guys. If there's going to be one team that beats Bama this year, I think it's going to be Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss will win the West, but Ole Miss can score, and their defense does look improved. I mean, it's hard to be worse than what they were last year, and that has been the case for them for years. But they they looked great against Louisville. And of course, they played nobody this past week, but there's going to be any team that challenges Bama and beats them this year in the regular season. I think it's going to be Ole Miss out of anybody. Just my thoughts. <clears throat> All right. I, I guess we uh, won't put it off any longer. LSU. One and one. You know, I, I, I was debating on doing a podcast last week and really getting into it, but I wanted to wait and see this team again against, you know, McNeese. It wasn't going to make me, you know, feel any better per se on how the team looked against UCLA. I think they looked horrible against UCLA. Defense looked good for a quarter and then just kind of crumbled lack of effort in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter when you were still in the game, the lack of effort is um, mind boggling. There's no emotion on this team, uh, which I'll get into a little bit more. I mean, offense looked pathetic. And couldn't run the ball against the Pac-12 team. Um, and so, man, there's so much that I could say. I'm going to be saying probably the same stuff I would have last week, but I feel worse about this team after the McNeese State game than I did after the UCLA game. And that's not how a team against an, a game against an FCS opponent should make you feel. It shouldn't. I mean... <laughs> I feel worse about this team after the McNeese State game than I do against the UCLA game. It, LSU couldn't run the ball on McNeese State. Just, just think about that. McNeese State, an FCS opponent, and we could not as a top-tier football program one that went undefeated and won a championship two seasons ago. Who gets top five recruiting classes every single year. And we cannot run the football against an FCS opponent. We're getting pushed around. For the year right now, Team stats were averaging in the two games against UCLA, make me state, we're averaging 87 yards a game rushing. 2.9 yards a carry. That's what we're averaging in two games. We ran for 49 yards against UCLA for two yards a carry. 
and we ran 125 yards against McNeese State for a three and a half yards to carry. And a lot of that, those yardage on the rushing came at the very end of the game as the garbage yards. So I'd probably call it 100 or even less than 100 when the game was actually like, I wouldn't say competitive, but still, again, you know, full blown. I mean, it's horrible coaching, man. I mean, Here's my complaint about the offense in week one. And, re- and really overall, we're too predictable. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I'm looking at the UCLA game. And I'm looking how we're lining up. We're running three by one to the wide side of the field. Why are we not running a bubble screen to some of our great playmakers? Kayshawn Butte, our wide receiver, is leading the country and in, in receiving touchdowns with five. We have a track star, basically, and Trey Palmer, who's great, his base, who is our punt returner. Why are we not throwing a bubble screen to him when they are when UCLA is blitzing every single play? They're bringing at least five or six every play. And we didn't run a single bubble screen. You know what the run game included? Inside zone, inside power. That's it. No jet sweeps. No outside sweeps, no buck sweeps where the offensive line pull around and try and lead. No counters, no quarterback runs, no read options. Maybe one screen we ran the whole game and it was horrible. Where was the diversity in the run game against UCLA to help win that game? Are we trying to hide something? It's the first game of the year against a power five opponent. Why are we not throwing the house and uh, the the kitchen sink at them? Why are we not diversifying the run game? Why are we so predictable? Why are we not throwing the ball downfield? We had open people. Why are we waiting to call plays and run the offense with five seconds left on the play clock? Why aren't we playing fast? Why aren't we dictating our will on them? We're letting them set up and do whatever they want. They see there's five seconds. They know we have to snap it soon. They get off the ball easy. That's the easiest thing you can do for a defensive lineman or defense is run the play clock down every single time. That's what happened. You ran slants. You ran short curls. You might run a fade here or there that didn't go very far. You hardly ran the ball. Couldn't run the ball. I mean, I, it was baffling. Screens and bubble screens and now screens and all those kind of quick things, swing routes to the halfback, those are extension of the run game in a spread. Everything doesn't have to be running right at them as a running game. That's one of the big things in the spread is you are trying to get the ball to your playmakers in space, and we did not do that well enough at all. And that's on Jake Pete's and on, and ultimately that's on Ed Ogeron. You hire an offensive coordinator who's never done it. He 
He's never called plays. He's always been a position coach in the NFL. He's never called plays and you hire this guy and this is the result. So fast forward to McNeese. Hey, we finally saw a jet sweep. Finally saw a jet sweep. Ran it maybe twice. Why aren't we doing it more often? Oh, we finally saw, saw some outside zone plays. Didn't do great. We saw more diversity on the run game, and it still looked horrible against an FCS opponent. You want to know what Ed Ogeron said in his press conference on Monday about the running game? I, had to, I, I, I was looking up some of the comments that he made for this, and he says, Coach O, and, and this is a, a tweet from Scott Rabelais, uh, from the advocate. He said, Coach O opens his weekly news conference by saying he's happy with the improvement in the running game. Improvement needed in passing game on routes. Happy with defense, of course. I'm going to get to defense later, but how can you be happy about the improvement of the running game after this week? How can you be happy with that performance? You hardly ran for 100 yards on an FCS opponent. I don't care if you're down two or three starters on the offensive line. Those players are bigger and, and should be stronger. Some of those guys have been in the program for two years, by God. And they got pushed around. And you cannot consistently run the football. We scored only 34 points against Ms. Nice. 34. Against an FCS school. Who, by the way, the week before, gave up 42 points to a Division II West Florida. Anybody know who their mascot is, by the way? I bet you don't. They're the Argonauts, whatever the heck that is. You have a, they get 42 points to West Florida, a D2 school. And you couldn't, you scored 34 and you could hardly run the football. West Florida got 4.8 yards a carry. They didn't run the ball a ton. When they did, it worked. They got 4.8 yards a carry. You can only get three and a half. And you're going to say you're happy with the so-called improvement of the running game? Really? And, and this goes to the point overall that I'm really going to kind of touch on. Coach O doesn't know what the heck he's talking about, doesn't know what he's looking at. He's not a good coach. The offense doesn't, it's too predictable. There's no flow. They're too slow on getting the plays in. They're trying to do this chess match and trying to get it. I mean, you can tell this is the first time for Pete's calling an offense. He's trying to find the perfect play every single time instead of just letting the players play. 
instead of letting the players play and let their athleticism in this game at least take over. They're not playing fast. They're getting up to the line of scrimmage. They're running meerkat. They're, they're standing up, getting to the sideline, and letting the clock run down. And for the past two weeks now, Ed Ogeron has said, hey, we need to speed it up. We need to speed it up. If you need to speed it up, if you say, he said that after the UCLA game, and you still didn't do it on a consistent basis, what the heck are we doing? What are we doing? Are you not getting your point across to your coordinators? Hey, I want us to run plays before 15 seconds on the play clock. That's the goal. If you can't do that, then what are we doing? You get cut off at this time. You have to make a decision. Come on, guys. Some people might say that's micromanaging. No, that's knowing what you want out of your offense. You are the head coach. Everything comes to you. You look horrible. That's on you. You got to know what you want. You got to know what you expect. That's what Nick Saban is so great at. Is he knows what he specializes in. He gets other coaches on the offense to know what they specialize in, but he still knows what he wants. He still runs the program. Everything is on him. If he wants to run the ball, he's going to tell him, hey, let's run the dang ball. If he wants them to speed it up, hey, let's speed it up. If he wants to slow it down, hey, we're going to slow it down. And they're going to say, yes, sir. He's respected. He knows what he's doing. Unbelievable. The passing game is uninspiring. Max Johnson, I was asked a little bit on my thoughts on him. And, and, and it was mainly um, whenever before Miles Brennan's injury was um, when he broke his arm on my thoughts on who would start. I always thought it was going to be Miles Brennan. If he didn't get hurt, I'm, I'm sure he probably would have started. Here's And then I would get asked about Miles and uh, Max Johnson. And, and I didn't really know what to say really. Um, he was better than TJ Finley. I think he was more composed. Uh, here's the thing that everybody likes when you, when you hear from the, the Baton, if you ever listen to Baton Rouge radio or, or sports media, which I'm guaranteeing that probably none of you that are listening to this do, which is fine. But the thing that everybody said that they loved about Max Johnson last year, especially in the Florida game was his composure as a true freshman. It didn't look like the stage was too big for him. Stage looks too big for him now. I don't know if that's just because the offensive line can't block a soul. That could be it. Could have him happy feet, but he doesn't look the same as he did last year. And one of the things that I didn't like about Max last year is he does not have a great arm. He can't push the ball downfield. He is a short to intermediate route thrower. That's what he is. He is a Wisconsin or Iowa quarterback. That's what I'll call him. Those are the perfect offenses for him. You know why? Because those offenses have to run the ball and they need a game manager, at quarterback. That is what Max Johnson is. He is not a game breaker. 
He's not Joe Burrow. Nobody's going to beat Joe Burrow. But he's not. He's not anywhere close to that. He's not somebody that can carry the team on his back. He didn't do that at Florida. He didn't carry the team on his back in Florida. The reason why we won at Florida, he did a good job managing the game. We've caught some good plays to get down the red zone. Our defense played the best it had ever played all year. And a guy threw a shoe. (laughs) That's what happened. That's how we won the game. A guy threw a shoe. If he doesn't do that, if Marco Wilson doesn't throw that shoe and get penalized, we probably lose that game. But he threw a shoe. We got into field goal range and and cold. uh, uh, K. York kicked a field goal, long field goal in the fog, which was amazing. But I had nothing to do with Max Johnson. He was just along for the ride. He played well against a horrible old Miss defense in a great game. Kayshawn Butte going off. <laughs> but I mean, he didn't push the ball downfield because he can't. He doesn't have a rocket arm. Joe Burrow didn't have a rocket arm, but he was precise and knew how to throw the ball downfield and got stronger. Max can't. At least not now. I don't know if he ever will. I saw a stat or heard a stat um, in the last day or two where in the two games played so far this year that Max Johnson has thrown the ball over 20 yards twice. Two times. We're supposed to get the quote-unquote Drew Brady offense back (laughs) in Coach O's work. I mean, if you can't throw the ball downfield, all defenses have to do is have their safeties eight yards and they can help on the run game and all you're going to do is short passes. So they don't even have to worry about you going over the top. That's how I'd play them. That's how the past two defenses have played them. That's how every single team moving forward is going to play us until we prove we can throw the ball downfield. Double cover, Boutte. Jump on everything short. Score. 34 points against freaking McNeese State. Don't look good doing it at all. Score only 27 points against UCLA, which there were plays to be made out there and you couldn't do it. Defense looked horrible against UCLA. Um, Couldn't stop the run. Had players get hurt. I mean, eh. couldn't set the edge. I mean, the the issues that we saw against UCLA were things we saw all of last year. And everybody thought, and everybody put the blame, Ed Ogeron put the blame on Bo Pelini. And, and I was there with them. I hated the Bo Pelini hire. I hated it even more learning from Coach O himself that he didn't even interview him. What the hell are you doing? Excuse my words. Excuse my language. And it was the same things. You couldn't cover a crosser. Linebackers didn't know what they were doing. They looked horrible. You couldn't set the edge. And then you gave up and basically quit in the fourth quarter. That's how your defense looked. You got out schemed all game long. You know, Durante Jones, defensive coordinator, this is the first time he's coached 
and called a defense since he was like 10 or nine years ago. And that was at a D2 level school. Come on. I mean, no adjustments. Chip Kelly made adjustments. We didn't make adjustments on either side of the ball. Defensive line got gassed. They got pushed around. Linebackers couldn't fill, couldn't tackle, couldn't set the edge, couldn't cover crossers. They passed to the tight end every every play. They knew where our deficiencies were, which were safety and linebacker, and they exposed it the whole time. They threw one pass to a wide receiver, and of course, Stingley get basically gives up and lets them get a touchdown to, to close it out. There was no effort. There was no emotion. And they looked how they should look against an FCS team. They dominated McNeese State, only gave up seven points. That seven points is on a screenplay that they miscommunicated on. The defensive line basically in the backfield all night, didn't let them get comfortable. They looked how they should have looked. So you can't really take too much away from that. But um was not a good performance against the UCLA team. And they're going to be playing a Central Michigan team that's coming up here. And honestly, it's going to, I would not be surprised if it's a dogfight or if it's, Coach O's Troy 2.0. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. And that might shock some of you, but I mean, the team doesn't look good. LSU ranks 70th out of 130 teams and points given up a game. And they rank 68th out of 130 and points a game. It's not good. Not good at all. And it's all on Coach O. And I'm done with them, guys. I'm done with them. I will forever be grateful for the 2019 season. And I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, It was the greatest season that, you know, I, I, I don't think a lot of people our fans of other teams didn't really understand. And, and I can count myself in that the 2010 Auburn team with cam and how amazing of a year that was for Auburn fans and loving a transcendent quarterback and cam Newton and all the stuff and all the hype and all the amazingness that that was that season for Auburn. That's basically what LSU fans got with Joe Burrow in 2019. And it was a once in a lifetime experience. It was great. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But before then, I was before that season, I was also done with Coach O. I didn't think he was a good coach. Still don't. You saw that last year where he lost his team. He hired a defensive coordinator without interviewing him. He's been horrible at coaching hires. He can't manage a roster. How do we hardly have any tight ends? One of our tight ends that we had was a former pitcher on the baseball team who then became a football player full-time and then just had to retire from sports altogether because of injury. And now we have Cole Taylor as a tight end who, not to bash on the kid too hard, but like he... He shouldn't be playing. Not on this team. He's not big enough. 
and you can blame Eric uh, Gilbert, but that whole thing is a, a crapshoot. I mean, there's issues with the kid. There's things going on with him, and and I'm not one to get into that. And I hope that he figures it out and he gets help because he needs it. I think. But man, he does, Coach O doesn't know how to manage a roster. He can recruit great, great classes, and it's not a position of need. The only reason why we got Joe Burrow is because we didn't sign a quarterback in the class before him, before we got him. That's the only reason why we were even looking for one. He looked into that. His hires have been horrible. Matt Canada. Anybody remember him? Oh, wanted to fire him four games into the season. He didn't do an extensive interview. Whenever he was hired, he was he's Ted to everybody, and he sold it to the AD Joe Oliva, who I, he was a horrible AD by the way. And thank God that he's gone. But the thing that he sold, he said he was going to hire the best offensive and defensive coordinators to run this team, basically. And he was going to be the CEO and worry about recruiting, and pumping the guys up, making sure they're energized. He's going to be the rah rah coach. Where well one one thing that I've talked about. What have I talked about, guys? There's no energy on this team. There's no emotion. That's what he said. That's what Coach O is here for. That's his bread and butter is to bring energy and emotion to this football team to play with that. And you don't see any of it. We didn't see any of it last year. You sure as heck don't see it this year. You come out in the first game of the season after you just had a five and five season the year before embarrassment, and you're going to come out and you're going to play like you did with no emotion. You're in LA, all of these LSU fans after Hurricane Ida happens. And you're not going to play with emotion for your state. For your family. For all the people that spent hundreds and thousands of dollars to come and watch you play in LA in a once in a lifetime opportunity. That that's only the, that's like the first time LSU has ever played in the Rose Bowl. Who knows if we're ever going to play there again? LSU SEC teams don't usually go to Rose Bowls unless it's a playoff game. And you're going to play like that, uninspired football, no emotion, no energy at all. And then you're going to come out against McNeese and you still don't really show much emotion at all. You're just there after you just got embarrassed. And this is all following a five and five year in which you looked horrible. This is supposed to be your redemption year to show that last year was the outlier. And you come out looking like this, you come out as a head coach and you're going to be talking crap to a fan walking into the building, which by the way is now marketing for UCLA. Yeah, thanks a lot, coach. Appreciate you. We were a laughing stock on Twitter because of you, because of your antics. Again, you're the head of a multi-million dollar business. 
of an organization and you're going to have antics like that. It's a freaking fan, dude. Leave them alone. Walk in. You're freaking focused. Go win the dang game. I don't want to see pictures or videos of you running shirtless down the beach right now or with you with some new co-ed every other week. Don't care. I don't want to see it. You shouldn't want other people to see you like that. <laughs> like, come on. You got to be better at that. And then all this happens and your team looks like garbage. Is your head in the right space? I don't know. You have no idea what you're talking about in these post-game pressers when you say, I am happy with the improvements of the running game this past week. Yeah, okay, coach. Appreciate it. On top of that, you have three players out right now because of academics. One of them is John Trey Kirkland, a six-year senior, COVID senior. And he's out because of academic reasons. Like, what the heck are you doing with your football program? John Emery's out for God knows what reason. Maybe it's not entirely on you or on the school, but hey, like, that's still on you. Talked again about needing to, to go to warp speed or go fast on offense for, again. He said his team's confident. I haven't seen it. Where's the confidence at? Here's a quote from uh, Keishon Butte from this week, which also says a lot. Uh, this is a tweet. Uh, says, Keishon Butte says the Tigers didn't respect UCLA as much as they should have, quote, and we got it handed to us. Your star wide receiver says that they did not respect UCLA as much as they should have. What are you doing as a coach leading up to that game? Why do you not have your team ready? Why do you not have your team respecting a, a team like that? I know they haven't been great recently, but after the year you just had, you can't take anybody for granted now. You got beat last year by Mississippi State, who maybe won one other game the whole year, if that. I don't even remember. Did they even win another game? I don't know if they did. And you're not going to respect UCLA? Your coaching staff doesn't have you respecting them. That's on Coach O. And let's look at the hires he made this year. Jake Peets, first-time offensive coordinator. First-time calling plays. You promised that we're going to hire the best assistant coaches. That's the best assistant coach? That's the best you can do for this offense? You're wanting to run the quote-unquote Joe Brady offense? The reason why that offense went the way it did was because Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, Clyde Edwards-Lair. Thaddeus Moss. Those players made that team go on offense. They just were able to play in a system. You don't even know what the system is. 
You don't even know what you're looking at or what you're looking for. When you're asked, what is the Joe Brady offense? This was on the Fox uh, broadcast during the UCLA game. The side reporter asked Ed Odron, what does it mean to run the Joe Brady offense? All he said was, everybody eats. What does that even mean? What does that look like structurally? What does that look like? What do you want that to look like? He said before that, that he wanted his team to look like USC in the early 2000s. Look how well that went with Matt Canada and Steve Enzeminger. Looked horrible. He got lucky with Joe Brady, who had never called plays before, who was just an assistant with the Saints. You got lucky with that one. And then you kept Steve, Steve Enzeminger. He's, he's the best offensive mind you can find as your offensive coordinator. That's not what you promised us. You hired Jerry Sullivan, who's like 70-something years old, to run your passing game coordinator before Joe Brady. Look how well that went. Eventually, towards the end of the year, you told him to get out of the press box and just stay out of the way. Basically, burned money, like the final four games of the year. You hired Bo Pelini without even freaking interviewing him. How is that acceptable in any context? How is that ever acceptable to not interview your guy that you're wanting to hire? You just give him the job. He's not even a family. Maybe for a family business, you get like your brother or something to help you and you don't interview him. This is hundreds of millions of dollars of an organization. And you don't even interview your defensive coordinator that you're going to hire. And then we get results, you know, like we saw last year. Worst LSU defense in the history of the program. And you follow that up with hiring Durante Jones, which the whole hiring process for the defensive coordinator this past offseason was a crapshoot. Thought we were getting uh, Ryan Nielsen from the Saints. Sean Payton basically exed it because you didn't even bother to talk to him. You didn't even bother to pick up the phone and call him and ask if you could talk to Ryan Nielsen. Pick up the phone if that's who you want. If that was your guy, pick up the phone and call Sean Payton and ask if you can talk to him. What's so hard about that? He would have said yes. But no, you you decided to go over his head and then it bit you in the butt. And then you wanted... uh, Oh, what was the guy at... Cincinnati. I don't remember his name. Marcus something. Let me let me Google it. Oh, let's see. Marcus Freeman. That's right. Old Cincinnati defensive coordinator. It was linked and reported and leaked that he was going to be the next defensive coordinator. And guess what? He chose Notre Dame over you. Whether that be for family reasons, personal reasons, or because you're Ed Ogeron and nobody wants to work for you. Probably wasn't because of money. 
And then you basically settle on Durante Jones, which God bless him, but he has been a position coach in the NFL or wherever for the past nine to 10 years. The last time he called plays for a defense was in division two football nine or 10 years ago. And that's who you're going to get. You're saying that is the best option. The best defensive coordinator that you can get is Durante Jones, a position coach in the NFL as your defensive coordinator. That's not what we were promised. Do you see a trend here? The only reason you got the best of anything was either luck because of Joe Brady or because they were already on staff with Dave Aranda who left because he hated working for you. And it was also, you know, time for him to find a head coaching position, but dude, like you basically kicked him at the door and then slammed it on the way out. Whenever you talk crap about him last year before the season started and looked, your, your defense was freaking horrible. It says a lot about a coach and his evaluation of his team and possibly even players. When he says at the beginning of last year, Hey, we are so much farther ahead or so much better on defense than we were at any time last year in 2019. If you're going to say that to me at the beginning or before the season starts, then you better not have the worst defensive showing in school history. Guess what? That's what happened. You had the worst defense in school history. After making the comment of we are so much better than at any time last year, that LSU defense last year was great at the end of the year. They were great in the SEC championship game and in the playoff run. They showed it when they needed it. And you were nowhere even close to their worst. Nowhere close. So what are you looking at, Ed? You hired Jake Peets, and one of the first things that I remember you talking about, and even at SEC Media Days, was that you wanted to have a, a variety of runs. You wanted to improve the run game and make it more complex and all this kind of stuff, along with improving the offense. You ran inside zone and inside power, the only two running plays. The whole game against UCLA, you didn't run a jet sweep. You didn't run any screens. You didn't run a bubble. You didn't run swings. You didn't run outside zones. You didn't run counters. You didn't run buck sweeps. You didn't do any of that to try and help out your offensive line. You finally showed a little bit of it against McNeese and you still look horrible. I can get mad at. It's one thing to be mad at. You see it with the UCLA game because you didn't do any very different variations of your running game. I'm not mad at that against McNeese. So don't get, don't get me wrong there. I'm happy that they diversified their run game against McNeese. I wish they would have run more jet sweeps. I still don't think they ran a single bubble screen when it's there all night in trips. Why don't we run those? Why don't we run more motion and orbit motion with the wide receiver going behind the quarterback and then just running a screen there to get the guy going? Even if it's just a diversion, you see Bama do that. Why can't we do that? You see all sorts of these teams run that. Why aren't we? We have just as good of athletes. 
So I'm not mad in the sense of, hey, they had a more diversified running game against McNeese. We still couldn't block his soul. So I'm not I'm not super mad at at the place selection per se. But there was no execution because you can't. Where's the coaching at? You got guys in your system for two years and they can't block a FCS player. That's like a hundred pounds or 50 pounds lighter than you. You can't push them around. It's offensive linemen. Either that's because of poor coaching, poor evaluation or both. You can blame James Craig as much as you want to. Who's no longer here. Who got fired for cause. Could you put a lot of it on Brad Davis? I don't know. He's only been here for fall practice. I don't know how good he is. It's all because of Ed Odron, though. Why didn't you fire James Craig at the beginning of this year? Right after the season last year. You haven't seen any improvement in that offensive line. And you're really seeing it now. LSU will never win any. And this is what Matt Moscona said on 104.5 in Baton Rouge. You will never win anything of significance with Ed Odron at quarterback at a at head coach. We won't. He looked in. He uh, Gene Chizicked his way to a championship. Larry Coker, whatever you want to call it, it's the same. That's what he did. He looked. He got lightning in a bottle. And he doesn't know how to build a program because he doesn't know what he's looking at. He doesn't know. And you know what? The thing that's really sad is that while we look just the same as last year, everybody else just in the division and the SEC looks better. Bama looks the same which is still really good. A&M is about where they were. Auburn looks better so far. Arkansas looks way better. They just destroyed Texas where Texas is having to rebuild, whether anybody there wants to admit it or not, they still have to rebuild, but Arkansas blew the doors off of them this, this past weekend. Super impressive. Ole Miss, they look great. They look very much improved. Mississippi State still left to be seen, but they look better than they were last year. They weren't very good, but guess what? They still destroyed LSU. That's all the teams in the West. All of them look better than you. All of them have gotten better than you. The teams that have stayed the same were already better than you. A&M and Bama. We look at Florida. I mean, they might not be as good as they were last year. They're still pretty good. We'll see how good they are this week against Alabama. Kentucky, they are probably better than last year. They have a lot of people are saying they have probably one of the best offensive lines in the, uh, maybe not in the country, but in the conference. And guess what? They're starting left tackle. Yeah, he, he's from LSU. He left LSU because of compliance, because of smoking weed, because your compliance department wants to bust people all the freaking time when nobody else in the conference cares. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. One of our best offensive linemen is now at Kentucky. They look better. It just doesn't look good, guys. I mean, what else am I going to say? So what what are we looking at here? You got a game against Central Michigan coming up um, this week. And I'm telling y'all, telling you, that could be a close game. It could. Central Michigan has a good offense, guys. It would not surprise me if uh, we come out uninspired again and the game is super close going into the fourth quarter. It honestly would not surprise me if we lost. I I mean, (laughs) next we got, and then after Central Michigan, we go to Mississippi State, which... And who knows how that game's going to go after last year. I mean, you would hope we would do better. Um, if anything, if there's going to be any games that I'm going to call a win, there's, there's, there's two that I'm going to say uh, we for sure are going to win. Probably I I'm going to say Mississippi state is going to be a for sure win. And I am going to say that Louisiana Monroe is a for sure win towards the end of the season. As it stands now with the rankings, uh, the 10 games that we have left, six of those are against ranked opponents. As of now. So after Mississippi State, you've got Auburn, which, hey, I mean, maybe this is one of those crazy things. Auburn hasn't won in Death Valley since 99. Could that still hold? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, it could be one of those things where that holds up. It could. We still don't really know how good Auburn is. We're going to find out this week, but they look much better on offense at least. But, you know, it, it's been one of those series where LSU, LSU was dead to rights two years ago, and they... Uh, not, they didn't play great two years ago in 19, and they were dead to rights to lose in 17 and found a way to win. I don't know about that one, guys. I'd love to say, hey, we're going to win that one just based on history, but that's really the only reason why I'm, I'm like this. Why I'm so... Because if that wasn't there, I'd say Auburn probably. After Auburn, who's currently ranked 22nd, you go to Kentucky. So that's a road game against Kentucky. Who knows how that will go? That's probably going to be a top team in the East, top three. I can't say one way or another. After that, you got Florida, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. I think we'll probably lose both of those. Then you play Arkansas. And the only other guarantee win that I have is Louisiana Monroe. I have two guarantees, Mississippi State, Louisiana Monroe. And then after that, you got Texas A&M. That's three guaranteed wins that I see. 
if LSU, I'll say this, if LSU loses to Central Michigan, you better fire Ed Ogeron right there on the spot. Fire him on the dang field. Do not let him go home that night without getting a call from Scott Woodward and saying, you're done. I hope we don't lose to Central Michigan. I don't want to come across as I hope we lose because I want Ed gone, but man, we'll probably end up winning that game against Central Michigan, but I, if for whatever reason, if it's Troy, if it's a Troy situation, he better be gone. Um, if he wins that game, then I, really, I, I don't know how it'll go. I don't, but he... Ed Ogeron better be gone after the season. Everybody else has gotten better. We've gotten worse. And it's unacceptable. You don't know how to build a program. You don't know what you want. You get first-time coordinators for everything as you completely rebuild the staff and blame all these other coordinators and coaches and all this stuff, and you still look just as bad as you were last year. Just as bad. <sighs> Time's up, guys. He gets no more second chances. You win a national championship, then go five and five, and then possible uh seven and five or six and six that's kind of what we're looking at right now and you're gone and who do i want to replace that's a topic for a different podcast which if it gets to that point i will definitely definitely talk about um i think this is probably long enough <laughs> thank you guys for listening i appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to my rambling um, but yeah, I mean, I, um, the ship has sailed on it. Um, I'm done with his antics. He's a PR nightmare for the uh, university and for the football program. And he cannot get hires, right? He has gotten lucky that he had Dave Aranda for a while. He didn't even hire him. All of his other hires have been horrible, except for his lone hire of Joe Brady. The rest of them have been nightmares when you hire a guy based only on the recommendation of a prior assistant that's an issue the only reason jake Peets was hired was just because joe brady recommended him that can't be enough for you i understand that joe brady was the passing game coordinator during the greatest team ever. But just because a guy has his recommendation doesn't mean anything. You got to do your due diligence. But the fact that one, you have a radio personality as your assistant who kind of handles all this kind of stuff for you, who doesn't know what the heck he's doing. You look at other programs like Alabama and Auburn and all these teams, they actually have like, High former high school coaches or former coaches be in that spot. 
that have connections and kind of know what they're looking for and know what they're talking about and actually know football real lingo. You have a freaking former radio uh, personality as that assistant for Ed Ogeron, who, by the way, if anybody in Baton Rouge media says a bad word about Ed, they will never have an interview. You get kicked off. You get banished, basically, from the football team. That's not a way to run your organization. Just because you get hurt feelings because somebody criticizes you. But yeah, you've, you'd only hire Jake Peets because Joe Brady recommended him. Is there not any other offensive minds out there that are really good minds like Kendall Bryles? Why didn't you ask Lane Kiffin what his uh, recommendation was? Since he's your buddy. I know he's a coach at a rival school. Why does that matter? Why are you taking Joe Brady at his word and hiring a guy who has never called plays? You're at LSU. You're supposed to get the best of the best. And you get somebody who's never done it. Who all he's been is a position coach. And he can say all the right things in an interview and that can be fine. He can interview great. But now look at the results. Your offense looks horrible. And real quickly, I didn't really get to this. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, I think, is the future right now of this team. And I know a lot of times the fan favorite quarterback, whenever your quarterback struggles, is the backup. But he can actually throw the ball downfield. It actually looks exciting. It actually brings energy to the offense. I know his stats were like three of 10, but he also had like four drops, two of which were beautiful balls downfield that receivers dropped, one of which could have been a touchdown. He looked great, I think, even though the stats didn't show it. He popped on the screen. And you're just going to stay loyal to a kid who started two games for what reason? The thing everybody loved about Max was his composure and he doesn't have it anymore. You're going to have to do so. If you're going to still be the head coach of this team, you're going to have to coach the team to hopefully they are better down the road. But no, Ed is going to coach for his job instead. He's going to go for the safe option in Max instead of going for the kid who actually has a future and actually looks like a football player to play at this caliber. He has the arm. He has the talent. He has the mobility. He's a gunslinger. He doesn't care. He's going to go for it. That's what you want in an offense right now. That's what you had with Joe Burrow. He went for it. Max isn't. Max is a game manager. He needs to transfer to Iowa and Wisconsin. That's what kind of quarterback he is. He's a game manager. You can't run the football right now. So game managers are basically useless for you. So what are you seeing at practice? He's ranting and raving about how great Nussmeyer looks, but there's not a quarterback competition. There's not more opportunity for Nussmeyer to play next week. You don't want to hurt Max's confidence. You've been talking to Max has no confidence right now. And you're just going to ride with that because it's safe. I don't know. I think Nussmeyer should be playing. 
he pops off the page. He looks like the better quarterback. And he's young. He's a true freshman. And you know what? Sure. If we do go with him, there's going to be turnovers. You're going to have to live with the mistakes, but he's going to come right back and throw right back at him. He's still going to go for it. And I think that's what you want from a young quarterback. And that just goes to show that Ed still doesn't really know what he's doing. He plays it safe. He goes with what's comfortable. He only hires people just because his friends recommended him. And that's not good enough. We'll see how the season plays out. Uh, I will de- will definitely be doing podcasts throughout the year. Won't, probably won't be every week, um, but we'll, we'll get some updates. I'll probably go a little bit more d- in detail with the rest of uh, the country, especially the SEC. Um, but there, there is a lot to say on, uh, on where the program's at. I don't like, like where LSU's at right now, and hopefully we can turn it around somehow, but uh, I, I really don't see with this team. Um, but but who knows? It's been two weeks. One on one hasn't been great, but you know that's why they play the game. So so we'll see. So yeah, thanks for watching, guys. This is Cameron again on Down to the Wire, and you guys have a great rest of your day. <laughs>